Well, listen, grab your Bibles, if you would. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we are continuing our series called Urgent. We've been talking about the urgent nature of the gospel. For week one, we talked about the imminent return of Christ, that Christ could come back at any moment. And therefore, if we don't know Christ, the gospel is an urgent matter because we need to be ready for his return. If we know Christ, we should be sharing the gospel because that's also what it means to be ready for his return. Week two, we talked about the reality of hell, that there is a very real place and very real people are going to this place if they don't have Jesus. Therefore, if you don't know Christ in light of this reality, you need to come to know him. And if you know him, you need to share him because people around you, loved ones, friends, family uh, who don't have Christ, this is where they're going to spend eternity. So it's, a, it's an urgent issue. And then Pastor Daniel, uh, two weeks ago, talked to us about uh, the harvest being ready, that there are people all around us that are ready to respond uh, to the gospel, but we need to be faithful to go and share Jesus with them. And this morning, we're going to wrap up this series by examining the simple command to go and make disciples, the, the command to advance the message of the gospel. Matthew chapter 28 is a pretty familiar passage of scripture. You're going to see a command here. And this command, I believe, is the most clear command in all the Bible, and at the same time, the most disobeyed command in all the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 20, if you're there, say, I'm there. Read verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we know this passage of Scripture as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Um, it's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. And the reason it's the Great Commission and not the Great Suggestion is because there is one main imperative in this passage of Scripture that tells us what we're called to do, and that is simply this. The imperative of the Great Commission that makes it the Great Commission is to make disciples. That's the imperative. Say, what is an imperative? It's a command. This is why we refer to this as a commission. Let me give you a, a definition of what it means for something to be a commission a commission, according to Oxford Dictionary, is simply an instruction, a command, uh, or duty given to a person or a group of people. And it's important that we see that this is a command, this is a commission, that this whole call that we find here to go and make disciples, this is what Jesus is telling us we should be doing. It's not a request. It's not, uh, I hope you can get around to it. It is go and do this. This is what our calling is that the problem is many of us, we treat the great commission like a great suggestion. That's why many people disobey this command. And it's important. Like when things are supposed to be a commission and they turn into a suggestion, it never really goes well. Let me give you this illustration. How many of you, when you go to a restaurant, um, you're always kind of like, you're cautious about the restaurant because of cleanliness. Therefore, you kind of check out and scope out the bathrooms of the restaurant to see if the bathrooms are clean. Anybody do that? I'm just kind of weird like that. Here's why. Here's my reasoning behind it. If the place they let me go to in the restaurant is filthy, how filthy must the places that I can't go to be, right? That's pretty logical, right? So if you think about the bathroom, if it's just destroyed and it's not been cleaned and not wiped down and there's no place to dry your hands, I'm thinking to myself, I want to go eat somewhere else because if this is what the bathroom looks like, how does the kitchen look right now? And so I always go in and there's two things I look for. One, I look for the cleanliness of the bathroom and then I look for this sign. Notice, employees must wash hands before returning to work. 
Now, why is that important? It's important because this sign is a commission for all employees. How do we know it's a commission? Employees, what's the word here? Must wash hands before returning to work. This warms my heart when I go to a restaurant. Here's why. Because I love the fact that they have this as a commission. This is setting an expectation. If you prepare food, handle food, work at this restaurant, this is our expectation. When you leave the bathroom, you must wash hands before returning back to handle the food, care for the people, and do what you're called to do. Now listen, I'm freaking out if this is the sign. If it says... Employees could wash hands before returning to work. Now what they've done is they've taken something that's supposed to be a commission and they've made it into a suggestion. And now I'm telling my family it's time to go somewhere else to eat. That's what's happening. Why? Because things that are commissions should be commissions. They should be commands and be very clear and never be mistaken as a suggestion. Well, this is what we find in this passage of scripture. Jesus gives us an explicit command. And this is the command. Make disciples. This is a call to the mission of God. This is a call to evangelism. And the mission of God is simply to make disciples. So if this is the command, here's the question we should be asking. What does it mean or look like to make disciples? Let me give you a simple definition. If you're a note taker, that means that you love Jesus and want to learn today. And let me give you this. Write this down if you're taking notes. So what, is it, what does it mean to make disciples? It means helping people who are far from Jesus to be forgiven by Jesus to become followers of Jesus who walk faithfully with Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples. It's to help people far from Jesus. They don't know him. And now that through our sharing with them, they can be forgiven because they experience the forgiveness of Jesus in their life and become followers of Jesus. And then now we walk with them, helping them become faithful followers of Jesus. This is what it means to make disciples. And what I've learned through the years is that most Christians are not doing this. Like most Christians are not doing this. They're not living our lives and making disciples. So I want to press into this command for a few minutes this morning. And I want to share with you two truths that we find or we discover in this uh, passage of scripture here that I think are very helpful for us if we're going to be obedient to this command. Here's number one. Here's the first truth I want us to see. And it's simply this. Making disciples is the primary purpose of a disciple. That making disciples is the primary purpose of every disciple. And I think many people are confused here. Here's why. I think many people believe that the Great Commission, that this command to go uh, take Jesus to the world and to evangelize and to live on mission, many people believe that this is for the Navy SEAL Christians. You know what I'm talking about? The varsity level, the elite Christians, like those who know a lot of scripture and man, they've been in this thing a long time and they really are great leaders. And so this is for those type of people. The rest of the ordinary people, man, they're the people that just quietly pray and they give a little money here and there to the mission. They may attend church services. They may serve here or there, but they don't share their faith because that's not for ordinary Christians. That's for the elite Christians. And this is the reason, because of this, many Christians, by and large, do not actively share their faith with the world around them. And I would dare to say that the majority of people that, that have gathered today in our services on both campuses, the majority have never shared the gospel with someone and have witnessed someone coming from, moving from death to life through the proclamation of the gospel. I know Christians that have been saved for five to 10, 15, sometimes 30 years, and they've never shared their faith with anyone outside their family. 
And they've missed the joy and thrill of sitting with someone across from a table and, 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 and sharing the gospel and seeing someone uh, become under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and give their life to Christ. Many believers will spend their entire Christian life never experiencing this because they believe for some reason this command is not for them. This is for someone else. And here's the problem with this. When you look at the context and the ministry of Jesus, this is explicitly clear here. And just think about the context for a moment. Who is Jesus talking to when he gives the Great Commission? Well, earlier on, it says that he called the disciples to himself. So Jesus in this moment is talking to disciples and he gives them the command, you disciples, go and make disciples. So if you're in this room today and you would say, you know what, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I would consider myself a follower of Jesus. You know what that means? That means that this is a command for you. That followers of Jesus, anyone that professed to be a Christian is a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this command is for you, which simply means this, either you are obedient and you are doing this, or you are disobedient, or worse, you're an imposter. Because this is the command that every Christian has been given. And this is, when you look at the context in the ministry of Jesus, this is, really stands out. So think about this. The Great Commission is given at the very end of Jesus's life. And just follow along the timeline here. Jesus has preached and walked with his disciples for three years. He, he died, he resurrected, and now he's getting ready to ascend. And before he goes, he gets his disciples together and he says to them, hey, hey, right here, here's your marching orders. Here's gonna be the primary calling of your life, your purpose that I'm leaving you. I want you to go into all the nations and I want you to make disciples, help people far from me, be forgiven by me, become followers of mine, and then learn to walk faithfully with me. I want you to go and do this with everybody in the world. This is what he says. Now, what's fascinating, this is at the very end of Jesus's ministry. What we discover when you look at the whole ministry of Jesus is that this is also how he starts his ministry. And in other words, the Great Commission is not something that Jesus tucks in on the back end. It's like he's saying, oh, I forgot to tell you, by the way. You thought you were coming to be comfortable and sit in seats the rest of your life and just kind of be catered to as followers of mine, but actually I've got a mission for you. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, if you go all the way back to the very first invitation for any disciple to follow Jesus, here's what you're gonna find. In Matthew chapter four, verse 19, listen to this. This is the very first invitation to become a disciple of Jesus. And he says this, and he said to them, follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? The word used here in the Greek language for follow me would have been the same word that we get the idea of disciple. So Jesus is saying, hey, come be my disciple. Now, what he says here, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, follow what's happening here. The very first interaction with any disciples that Jesus has, Jesus says, I want to be clear about something. I want you to come and follow me. Come be my disciple. And being my disciple means that I'm gonna teach you how to go fish for men. And then Jesus now, three years later, at the very end of his ministry, about to ascend, and he sits down with him and says, let me remind you when I called you, what did I say? I want you to come follow me and I'm gonna teach you to fish for men. And so now all authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Also maybe said, go and fish for men. Now, what's, what's the importance of this being at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry and the very end of Jesus's ministry? See, I believe it's this. I think it's the first thing that you tell someone 
If it's the same thing as the last thing that you tell someone, that might want to be an indicator that there's something he's saying that's important. Let me illustrate it like this. My kids, when we go out of town sometimes, we'll take them to grandparents' house, and uh, on the way to the grandparents' house, drop them off before we leave town, we have a conversation. How many have conversations with your kids before you leave them somewhere? Like, like don't be stupid, right? That's the, that's the conversation. Don't be stupid. Act like you know how to behave. Notice we say, don't you know how to behave. Act like you know how to behave. That's what we say. Why? Because they don't know. We just want them to pretend for a while, right? That's, that's what happens. So we're, here's the speech. We, we're on the way. I'm looking at my kids in the eye. Hey, look, grandma and grandpa's going to be taking care of y'all this weekend. I'm expecting you to be on your best behavior. Noah, don't hit your sister. Sisters, don't beat up Noah. Be sweet to one another. Noah, help out. Girls, help out. Make sure that you're respectful. If they ask you a question, you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. If they give you food, eat it. Don't complain about it. Be thankful for it. Pretend if you don't like it that you do like it. Man, I'm giving them this talk all the way there. And then we get out and we uh, get all their stuff settled. And then right before I leave, I huddle them up and I say, hey, right here, right here. Remember we talked about? I'm coming back. Maybe, right? Maybe. Depends on how you behave, right? And we have this eye-to-eye conversation. And what do I do? I briefly again tell him, I want you to remember what I told you. He, these are the expectations. Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, says, hey, listen, come follow me. But I want you to know what following me means. It means that you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be a disciple-making disciple. At the very end of his ministry, hey, I'm going away for a little bit, and I'm coming back. But while I'm gone, here's what I expect. Remember that thing about fishing for men? Go do it now. This is the expectation for every believer. In fact, it's so clear in Scripture. This is what David Platt says. David Platt says, according to Jesus, from beginning to end, to be a disciple is to make disciples. Scripture knows nothing of a disciple, of disciples who aren't making disciples. Like it's all about making disciples. In the New Testament, there would never have been a a thought of someone who says they're a disciple who doesn't make disciples. And so we've got to understand this truth. If we call ourselves disciples, but we are not making disciples, we are disobedient disciples or we are not disciples at all. Charles Spurgeon talking about this, he, he, he made this statement about God's mission. He says, every believer, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Because all true Christians will live on mission. Spurgeon said something else that I thought was fascinating. He was talking about fishing for men and how oftentimes disciples don't do it and we don't pursue it and we don't walk in this command that God's given us. And he says, it's it's who we are. If we're Jesus' disciples, we are to be fishers of men. And here's his analogy. He says, I know a lot of fishermen who don't catch fish. But if they're true fishermen, they're never happy with that. So we, we, we might be out there fishing and people may not be coming to faith in Christ, but there's never be, a, never be a, commi- a contentment in the heart of a believer with not seeing people come to faith in Christ because it's who we are as disciples of Jesus. And just think about the early church. Think about Jesus is on the side of this mountain with 11 of his disciples. And he's saying, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm telling you, go and make disciples of all nations. And these men without social media, without a television ministry, without Bible bookstores, without conventions and conferences, what do they do? They go and they make disciples. They took Jesus to the nations. 
Why? Because they understood that it was their primary purpose and therefore they lived with an urgency to do the very thing that Jesus called them to do. They lived with great intentionality. So many of us, the reason, listen, the reason so many of us do not live with urgency to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel, to advance the mission is because most of us do not see this as our primary purpose for being on planet earth. So let me just help you with your life to evaluate for a moment. This is something I want you to discover about yourself. Did you realize that what you see as your primary purpose will be what you live with urgency to pursue? All of us in this room are urgently pursuing something. And whatever that something is, that's an indicator of what you view as the primary purpose of your life. So for some of you, you work your fingers to the bone because, man, you see, man, I want to provide more for my family. I want to give them a good life. And so that becomes the great. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to provide a good uh, experience and life for your family. But if that becomes your primary focus, everything in your life will be an urgent matter of doing those things. If you see your primary purpose in life is to fulfill the American dream and just to amass yourself and climb the corporate ladder and achieve everything that you think you should achieve to be the happy, uh, healthy American that man has promised to you in this great nation, then you're gonna live your life exhausting yourself, pursuing with urgency that thing that you see as primary. If comfort and convenience, then you're gonna position your life so that you're comfortable and everything is easy and that you're gonna live with urgency to make sure that you live like that. And listen, by the way, the same can happen in churches. Did you know right now that we cannot plant churches fast enough to make up for the churches that are dying and closing their doors every single week? Like the death rate of churches are happening more rapidly than the birth rate of churches. And why is that? What, what causes that? What takes a vibrant, growing, healthy church and moves it to a place where now it's dead and it's cold and it's indifferent and the mission of God's not being advanced and eventually if the mission of God's not advanced, those doors will close. Now, what happens? What causes this? Simple answer. When primary things become secondary things and secondary things become primary things, the mission is lost and the church will die. And this is why, you think about it. What are people typically pursuing when they, when they go find a church? Am I gonna like the music? Are the people gonna be friendly to me? Are the kids gonna have fun? Is the experience gonna be great? Are they gonna be welcoming? Are they gonna have me be a part of it? And listen, there's no, nothing wrong with wanting those things, but if that's the primary purpose of what you think church is about, what's happened is, is now secondary things have become primary things. And this is why most churches, is, they're, they're all built around self-consumption of disciples rather than making disciples making disciples. It's just, we're gonna to try to make disciples comfortable. Which is why when you look at a lot of churches, we think it's silly, like some of your church backgrounds are terrible, right? You can remember the church split. You can remember the fights. And the, some of you are just now back in church because of the bad experience you had growing up in church when churches were like split over the color of the carpet. Like we chuckle at that, but that's true. What, what, what ha what's happened? Why is that? Somewhere along the way, church became a me-centered place rather than a disciple-making factory 
And so now church is all about my preferences. This is why many people will leave church and they don't talk about the glory of Jesus and the greatness of the gospel and how the spirit fell. They're talking about the music was too loud and man, I didn't really particularly like the music that they sang. And man, the pastor passed me four times and I tried to make eye contact and he never even said hi to me. And man, some person, they didn't even smile when I pulled. I don't think I'm gonna come here anymore. Why? Because somewhere along the way, the primary purpose of church became about the person. Now, you want to be a part of a vibrant, live, unbelievable church, you find a church, and I believe New Beginnings is one of those churches, who sees the primary purpose for its existence to make disciples who make disciples, and you're going to see God Move, and you're going to see a church unified, and you're going to see great things happen, and God's going to use you in the process. But the reason there's so many bored Christians that are chasing all kinds of things and not finding the fulfillment that they're looking for is because we're chasing the wrong things. A Christian, a follower of Jesus who receives the command by the Holy Spirit from, from, from God's word, from the mouth of Jesus himself that says, go and make disciples. We will never be content in our Christian walk unless we're doing the very thing that Jesus called us to do. We can never be content. My challenge to you this morning would be for you to understand that your primary calling as a follower of Jesus is to pursue Jesus with everything and bring others with you. That's number one. Here's the second truth from this command to make disciples. So making disciples is the primary purpose of every disciple. Number two, making disciples is to be the lifestyle of every disciple. It is to be a lifestyle. Look what he says here. He says this in, in verse 19. Look what he says. He says, and go, therefore, and make disciples. There's the command. That's the imperative of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, I want your eyes right here just for a second, and you, you might want to circle some stuff in your Bible to help you understand the text. So gr grammatically speaking, I wanna explain something to you about the Great Commission. So I said this to you earlier, there's one imperative. An imperative is a command. It's telling us what to do. That imperative, if you wanna circle it in the Great Commission is make disciples. That's the command, that's the command. It's the only command we have. Command's not to go, although we're going to. The command's not to baptize, although we're going to. The command's not, it's, it's, it's make disciples. Go reproduce yourself and others bringing people far from Christ to being forgiven by him, to following him and walking faithfully with him. But there are also three participles that surround that command to tell us how to do it. Let me illustrate it like this with this, this uh, analogy. So if I was to tell my kids this, hey, picking up your towels, taking out your trash, wiping down your sink, clean your bathroom. So the question would be, what's the command in that sentence? Clean your bathroom. That's the command. Go do this. How? Picking up your towels, taking out your trash, wiping down your sink. That's how you're going to clean your bathroom. So what Jesus does in this passage is he gives us a command. Make disciples. How do we do it? By going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, I want you to notice this. The reason that's important, these participles indicate ongoing and present activities. Going, baptizing, teaching. This is the idea. In other words, the Great Commission is not to be something on your to-do list. It is to be your life. It is to consume everything that you do and every place that you go. As you work, when you hang out with friends, as you coach baseball, as you play golf, when you go to the restaurant, 
when you're out on the weekend with your hunting buddies, make disciples. Every part of our lives should be about a lifestyle of making disciples. We do this by going and baptizing and teaching. Now, this is important here because many of us have created, let's be honest, this is the American life. This is, this is a, a East Texas Christianity. We've created a, a dichotomy in our life. There's the, the church, the spiritual side of my life, and then there's the, the other parts of my life, the physical, the, the, the career, the family, all of those things. And many of us, we don't acknowledge it like this, but we live like this. So there's a spiritual part of my life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible some. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give some money. I'll serve when I'm at church. If there's a mission trip, I'll go on that mission trip. So I got these spiritual activities that I do, but then I've got my career and I've got my family and I've got my recreation and I've got all these other hopes and dreams that I have for my life. And those two really rarely touch. We don't see them like this. We divide it into what's called the secular and the sacred. There's the secular, there's all the career and ambitions and family and the things that we do. And then there's the sacred. Those are the spiritual activities that I have in my life. But the life of a disciple, listen, is a holistic life. There is no dichotomy. You see, the life of a believer is not where you find a secular and a sacred because for a believer, everything is sacred. Why? Because all of our lives should be submitted to King Jesus. Therefore, there's nothing in my life that he doesn't oversee, govern, or, or, or have complete control in. What that simply means for us, this idea of living a life of making disciples, means that we don't just do what we do to make money. We do what we do to make a difference. Let me give you this phrase here. Just see this. You see, this transforms the way that we think about our life. You see, you need to understand this morning, your vocation is not about making a dollar, but rather it's a platform to foster relationships that enable you to make disciples. You see, your, your, your calling as a follower of Jesus is to see all of your life, all of your life as an opportunity to make disciples. So, so when, when you go to work, when you raise your kids, when you pursue your career, everything, as you enjoy your recreation, it's all about making disciples. And we've got to see our lives through this lens. To Think about it like this. Listen, whatever you do for a living, whatever you do for a living, do it excellently for God's glory, but also do it intentionally on God's mission. So whatever you do, do it excellently for God's glory. So there should be a definitive difference between you and your unbelieving coworkers. You ought to, be, you ought to represent the kingdom of God, be the hardest working person there. I mean, Christians should be known in the workplaces, man, I don't know what they believe, but they get stuff done. And they, they know how to work and to do things well. This should be our ambition, because why? We don't work for men, we work for God. And so for his glory and for kingdom impact, we're gonna do whatever we do for his glory, which means it's gonna be the very best we can do, so do it excellently. But while we're doing it, we're gonna be intentional that we're doing this thing so that we can make disciples. We're gonna be on the mission of God. And so as we build and as we're in the oil field and as we teach the class and as we coach the team and as we go and do whatever it might be that you do vocationally or recreationally, all of that is gonna be done so that in the process you can make disciples. So teachers, teach well and make disciples. Business owners, run your business with, in, 
impeccable integrity and create a product that you can be proud of for the glory of Jesus. And while you're doing it, pour yourself into people and make disciples. Coaches, try to win every game. Have character while you do it and make disciples. Whatever it is, see your life as singularly being focused on the purpose of making disciples in everything you do. Make disciples. And he gives us the three participles. Let me give you those briefly for a moment. Have you understand what this looks like? You say, okay, I get it. So lifestyle, ongoing, going, baptizing, teaching. What does this really look like? What does this really mean to live this way? Well, going is simply this. I want you to see this. Going is about this. Going is about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. So make disciples. How do we do this? We're going. What do we do? We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. How do we know this? Well, Luke records um, some other words of Jesus around the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is what Luke says. He says this. When Jesus was giving this Great Commission, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. What is a witness here? A witness is someone who, has, who can give eyewitness, personal testimony of something that's been accomplished. So what it is it that Jesus is saying, go and be my witnesses about? Well, go and be witnesses about who I am. Go tell the world that the Messiah, the Savior of the world has come, that I lived and I died and I resurrected and only in me can you have your sins forgiven and eternal life experience. Go and tell the world what I've done. Listen, we as disciple makers, our priority number one is to go and proclaim to a world that desperately needs to know that there is good news. And that good news is even though we deserve punishment because of our sin, God loves us. Jesus died for us. He resurrected to save us. And in him, we have eternity. And that is what the world needs to know more than anything else. But if you think about our life, just think for a moment. Most of our conversations, even when doors are opened, are about everything but the one thing that the world needs. We are so comfortable, even in a polarized world, to openly communicate about our political perspectives and our opinion on social matters. And we'll talk about our sports teams and we'll go through the, all the nuances of life. But man, we all of a sudden, when it comes to talking about the one thing that can change eternity for someone, man, we just keep it to ourselves. What this world needs more than anything is not to know your political point of view or perspective. They need to know your king. And I got great news for you in the midst of all of the turmoil that we've got right now. The hope of the world is not resting on the back of an elephant or a donkey. Why? Because we have a lamb. And he died. And he resurrected. And he is our king. And he is the hope of the world. Therefore, we should be proclaiming our world desperately needs good news. And guess what? We are the bearers of that news. This is what we should be about. And the truth is, how does a person come to faith in Christ? How do they move from death to life? If they are dead in their sin, how can they be made alive in Christ? Well, the Bible says by trusting in the finished work of Jesus, trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus as their only hope. But Paul asked a very important question. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Believer, listen to me. You've got friends and relatives and neighbors, and you say, well, we're living in East Texas, the Bible Belt. We're going to get to that toward the end. But listen to me. There are people that might have heard the name of Jesus and heard a version of the gospel, but I'm telling you, there is an absolute ignorance in our culture about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And how will your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers know and come to believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless you go? Going. We're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And for those of you who may say, I just don't know what to say. Like, I want to do it. I just don't know what to say. Let me help you just for a second. All right. The woman at the well. Girl was married. Girl was, was saved for five minutes. Right. And she goes to her hometown where she was rejected. And the entire village comes to faith in Jesus. Like she didn't take a Bible study. She didn't even have half the questions answered that she needed answered. But she had the one question answered that mattered, and that was, who was Jesus? And what did he do for her? So this girl goes into a village where the disciples who've been walking with Jesus for nearly three years spend an entire day, don't even talk about the one that's at the well. This girl's life radically transformed, runs in and says, I don't have all the answers, but I'll tell you, I met a guy, he changed me, you gotta come check him out. She didn't even take a Priscilla Shire Bible study for crying out loud. So here's the point. The point is don't be trained. The point is understand that if your life has been transformed by Jesus, ultimately you know everything you need to know to see somebody else's life transformed by Jesus. That's the truth. And here's what I want us to see. Listen, so those of you who are like, I still want training. Awesome, I'm glad you do. Because in the seat back in front of you, there's a little card. Pull out that little card. I think I've got a copy of it here, right here. Looks like this right here. Next weekend, we're going to train on how to share your faith very practical ways. Two-hour seminar, very practical ways for you to share your faith. Once you take that QR code, scan it with your phone, there'll be a tab there for registration link. In 40 seconds, you can be registered next Sunday night. I'll be teaching on practical ways, giving you some tools that you can use to go and share your faith. So listen, if you say, I don't know how to do it, I don't know what to do. Let me help you. Just listen to this. It's a command. You are called to do this. Our inability maybe or the feeling of inadequacy doesn't alleviate the calling. So if you go to your job and on your job, they go, okay, this is your, you just got started the job. Here's what you're called to do for this job. This is what you've been hired to do. There's 18 things on there. I don't know how to do it. You don't give that to your boss and he's gonna go, oh, let's just mark those things off then. You don't know how to do them. Okay, you're good. What he's gonna say, I'll train you, I'll teach you, I'll help you develop this. But this is what you've been, this is, this is the job. So many of us are lo- using the excuse of not knowing enough as a reason not to share our faith, but we gotta recognize, listen, it's our responsibility to be obedient to the calling, which means if there's areas that we need to grow in, we need to seek ways to grow. And so this next week, we wanna put some tools in your belt and I challenge every single one of you to come be a part of that so we can train you in how to do what God's called you to do and live out your purpose in life. Here's the second word, it's baptizing. Baptizing, what is baptizing about? 
Baptizing is about displaying new life in Jesus. It's about displaying new life in Jesus. Let me give you a very simple understanding of what it means for someone to be baptized. Baptism is simply this. It's a public proclamation of a new association. So when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, they're called, commanded by Jesus to tell the world that they're his followers by being baptized. Now, why why is this significant? Well, baptism isn't what saves us, but it is what saves people do. And here's why. Baptism illustrates to everyone who watches what happened in our life when we trusted Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that we're new. The Bible says when we trust Jesus, we're born again. And here's what that means. It means that when, when we, we confess Jesus and trust in him, that we are immersed into Christ spiritually. His death now becomes my death, his resurrection and new life now becomes my life. That spiritually is what happens on the inside of us when we trust in Christ. So when someone is baptized, they are giving a visual demonstration of what happened invisibly in their life. So as they are immersed under the water and brought back up, there is this declaration of, this is what Jesus did for me and I want everyone to know because I belong to him. Every single person who professes Christ as Lord should be baptized. So if you're here today and you've, you trusted Christ, but you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you. Let's, let's baptize you. Let's get this done. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus is expected to be baptized. The New Testament makes it very clear that salvation comes in Christ alone. But when we follow Christ alone, we tell the world that we follow him. And so if you're not if you've never been baptized, I would love the privilege of next week, we have a baptism service. I would love for you to be baptized. On that little QR code that I just showed you a second ago, there's also a link. If you open that up, it'll give you a little link uh, to register for baptism. Take about 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and we'll contact you this week and walk you through that. It doesn't have to be next week that you're baptized. It could be any week. But if you've never been baptized, maybe you've given your life to Jesus in recent days or, or, or maybe months or years ago, then you've never been baptized. Let's get that taken care of. And let's be obedient to this. But what does that mean for us who are making disciples? If we've been saved and we're baptized, we're living on mission, what does this mean for us? It simply means that when we lead someone to Christ, we help them begin their journey by going public with their faith through baptism. It's not just the preachers and the pastors and the elders' responsibility to chase down new converts and see that they're baptized. If you lead someone to Christ, part of making a disciple means that you walk with them on this new journey and you encourage them, hey, let's get to the church, let's, let's go public, let's identify with Jesus in the local church, and let's be baptized so that you can help them in the discipleship process. Here's word number three. It's teaching. Teaching. Showing how to walk with Jesus. It says this in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Now, I want you to remember here the command. The command is what? Make disciples. Not to make converts, not to help people make decisions, but to make what? Disciples. What do disciples do? They walk with Jesus. So a part of our responsibility to fulfill the mission that God has given us is not just share Christ with someone. It's not even just to see that they're baptized and now they get connected with the church. Now the journey begins of us walking with them, showing them what it looks like to actually obey Jesus. So it's bringing them into our life. 
It's having coffee with them. It's having them over for dinner. It's making sure that we don't just say, okay, I did my part, pastor, now it's yours. No, no, no. If I lead someone to Christ, if the call is to make a disciple, that means that I need to start a journey with this person to where I'm pouring into them, I'm sharing life with them, I'm helping them get connected to church and a life group and to begin to live the life of a believer, but I'm playing a part in the process. And for some of you right now, here's what I know. All morning I felt this. When I got to this part, it was like, say what? And here it goes back to the problem. I just don't think I'm equipped. I, don't, I thought that was for elite varsity level Christians. I'm JV at best. Like I'm B team JV. I don't think I can do that. So let me help you with this, okay? Discipleship is a journey. It's a life of walking with someone who's come to faith in Jesus, helping them grow in him. So think about it like this. My, my family goes hiking. We were hiking a mountain or a real steep trail and rocky. Am I a better guide if I leave an hour early and get up to the top and just call back to my family and say, hey, this way, I think? Or is it for me to walk back and go, hey, I don't know everything about the path, but I think I can get us there. Let's, let's walk together. What's, what's being a better guide in the moment? Taking their hand and walking with them. What's the point? You don't have to be a mile ahead of somebody spiritually to disciple them. You just need to be a step ahead of them. Which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, that means as you pray and as you study and as you read and as you're growing, what are you doing? I'm just gonna drip that into their life. I'm gonna watch me. I'm gonna hang out. We talk about conversations. I'm gonna point them to things that encourage me. And, and, and as we take this journey together, I'm gonna nurture and help the things that Jesus is teaching me. I'm gonna turn and teach it to them. You don't have to know it all. You just have to be willing to pour into their life. And think about this for a moment. Just think about the, 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 the difference it makes in the world. Jesus took 11 ordinary men and he discipled them. And then he says, hey, listen, you ragtag group of nobodies in the world, go and make disciples of all nations. And guess what? They did it. 2,000 years later, we are in East Texas because 11 guys understood their primary purpose and that it was to be a lifestyle. And they just simply said, hey, look, we don't have all the answers. We don't know where this journey is going. But let's just tell you what Jesus did, what Jesus said. And as I'm teaching you, I want you to find somebody and you go teach them. And then that person is going to teach them. And before you know it, it's disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And 2,000 years later in East Texas, we're still making disciples. So just think about the difference we could make in the world if we simply just began to take this calling seriously. And just think about this for a moment. This is urgent for us. In the state of Texas, listen to this, there are 19 million lost people. 19 million, population of around 28 million people. Nearly 60% of the population of the state of Texas does not know Jesus. We are in the buckle of the Bible belt for crying out loud. And people are lost and they're going to hell and they don't know Christ and God has sent us. And if you think about that, and that translates just to our community. In our three counties that make up what they consider the, the kind of the greater Longview area, According to those same numbers, there are 180,000 people who do not know Christ in our backyard. 
There is a harvest and a mission field all around us. But like Jesus says, the laborers are few. This is an urgent matter. That means 180,000 men and women, boys and girls, people at the ballparks and at Walmart and at the gas station and at the restaurant and your office building, and they don't know Christ and they're perishing and there is no hope, but you have the hope within you to share with them. And this is the primary purpose for your life. How could we not live with urgency? There is something wrong with us. I'll tell you what urgency looks like. And this is the power of Jesus when disciples get serious about making disciples. There's a guy that we built a relationship with for the last about eight years in Burundi, Africa. Very small country, very poor country, high population, about eight million people. I think it's about the size, the whole country is the size of Rhode Island. I mean, it's just packed full of people. And this country, we started doing mission work. We met a guy named Amabile Azir. And Amabile now, he, we partnered with him for years. Now he is on staff with the Roots Network, a partner ministry led by Adam and Emily Kelling, doing incredible work in East Africa. And he is one of our key men. And uh, he planted a church, New Beginnings, Bujumbura, a few years ago, and they are just reaching people. They've got a couple campuses now. It's incredible what God is doing. So Amabile calls Adam and says, I got to tell you this story. And Adam's like, you got to tell me the story. So tell me the story. And here's the story. So Amabile is at church a few weeks ago, and he's getting ready to preach. And as he's getting ready to preach, um, he gets a phone call. And the phone call was from a guy who was from Burundi, but was living in another country, not in America, just some other country, not in an African country. He was just living, I don't even know where, what country they were in, but he was calling and says, I, I'm from Burundi, but I don't live there. I live in this whatever country. Um, but I felt compelled this morning by the Spirit to call you. My father lives in Burundi, and he is a Muslim, and he is very old, and he's getting very sick, and he doesn't know Jesus. And I, I'm... I can't be there to share the gospel with him, but I'm asking, could you go to his house? So Amabile, getting ready for a Sunday morning service, looks at his associate pastor and says, hey, I got good news for you today. You're about to preach because I'm gonna go see a guy about a thing. And so Amabile just leaves church, doesn't even stay. Urgently goes to this man's house, knocks on the door. The guy opens the door. Amabile says, hey, I'm Amabile Azir. I'm pastor at New Beginnings. I Got a call from your son, said you were open for me coming to see you. The man says, yes, come in. Very old, frail man sits down. And Amabile just poured the gospel out to the man. Explained to him who Jesus was and what he did and how Jesus is alive and he's, he's, he's greater than any religion and he wants a relationship and he can forgive your sin and there's eternity. And, he's, he's tell, and this man, eyes light up and he's like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a follower of Jesus. And then Amabile kind of got nervous. He's like, maybe I didn't say it. Right, and so he's trying to talk the dude out of it now. Like, you understand, you're a Muslim. This means you gotta abandon and walk away from the faith. And this is me, this is costly for you and your family's gonna disown you. And, and so Mobley's trying to talk him out of it. The man stops him mid-sentence and this is what he says. He says, when I opened my door and I saw your face, something said to me, Jesus is better than Mohammed. And he gave his life to Christ. Mobley gets a call a week later, and it was his son saying, he didn't finish. He got to go baptize my dad. Lifelong Muslim. 
stepped in the waters. And I love the story while we're in the water here. Mobley's telling the story. Like, I'm, like, I'm fired up by the story. Mobley was really fired up about the story. In the middle of it, this guy's like, okay, enough, enough, enough. Just baptize me already. Because the guy wanted to tell the world that Jesus was his savior. Since then, this man has been pushed by his family, his unbelieving son who's a Muslim is telling him, you've abandoned our faith. You can't do this. And he now is telling his son, son, Jesus is better than Muhammad. I have to follow him the rest of my life. That's the power of the gospel. What causes that? Like, how can God use ordinary people like you and me? To, to, to make disciples, this, this is such an urgency. I, we heard the story and my, my wife looked and she said, like, he left church. Like, can you believe that? I'm like, don't mess with my American Christianity right now. I know I wouldn't do it, but he did it. And uh, I will if somebody calls me like that. But what, what causes this? The bookends of the Great Commission. What are the bookends? All authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to Jesus. So the one who is commissioning us, the one who is commanding us, has all power, all authority. It all belongs to him. What gives Jesus the power and authority? Six words. It is finished. He is alive. That is what Jesus gives Jesus all power and all authority that he has control over everything. And he says, look, I've got all control and all power and all majesty and all authority. And I want you to know that that is found in my name. And I am commanding you to go and tell the world about my name. And what's the bookend? And behold, I'm with you always to the very end. So the one who has all power and authority is the one who's going with you. Believer, listen to me this morning. When you're sitting on that, at that coffee shop and your hands are trembling and you don't know the words to say to that friend, but you got a burden and you didn't sleep the night before and you know they, they don't know Christ and I, got, I don't know what to say. I've never done this before. And your hands are trembling and your voice is shaking. I want you to know that the one who has all power and authority is with you. When you got to call that relative and they know all the scoop on you and the who you used to be and they're going to throw that in your face and you're trying to talk to them about what changed your life and you're nervous because you're like, man, they're going to drag up my past and I don't know what to do. Just know that when you're on the phone, the one who has all authority and all power is with you. When you're at the office and you get that compulsion that God is telling you to walk across the hall and talk to your boss or a coworker, Jesus has all authority and he's going with you. Church, listen to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you for your word and your truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, for every single person as we leave this place, that there would be an urgency in our hearts, that there would be an absolute burden that we have, Lord, that you would put faces and names in our mind even now. Of, of, of those who are lost around us and that we might have the courage and the boldness to fulfill our primary person, purpose and to live a lifestyle of making disciples. Lord, I ask this and I pray this and I ask this in Christ's holy name. And all God's people said, amen.